I remember my 47th birthday like it was yesterday, and I promise you it wasn't. Uh, my wife, who loves surprises, had been saying to me, just get ready. This is going to be the best birthday you've ever had. Well, I mean, she said this so many times that I began to be quite concerned and worried. I started watching the credit card bills and the checkbook and everything, but, you know, no credit card met meltdowns and no bank overdrafts or anything like that. So I thought, what is this woman up to? The morning came. We woke up, and she for a casual day, and uh, I'm going to go take the kids to school. I'll be back to pick you up in just a little while. So I waited for about an hour or so, and she came back, came upstairs, and she blindfolded me, led me down the stairs, through the family room, into the kitchen, out into the garage. I could tell she had pushed the garage door opener button, and the garage door was coming up, and she walked me out into the sunlight of the driveway, took a few steps out into the driveway, and then she removed the blindfold. What I saw next was an apocalypse. Do you ever use that word? Have you heard anyone say that this week? I, I mean, it, it's one of those odd words that, you know, the, we, we put it in movies that are disastrous. You know, an asteroid is hurtling toward planet Earth to be the end of all of us. Or there's some kind of tsunami coming ashore. Or there's a horrible terrorist attack. Or a 9-11 kind of a tragedy is happening, apocalypse. It's this word that we use for the absolute awfulest thing that we can imagine. And that's not what it means at all. The word simply means to uncover or reveal. Like Denise did that day when she removed the blindfold from my eyes to reveal what was in front of me in that moment. Apocalypse. You know, it's strange. That word is in the title of the last book of our holy scriptures. Uh, we popularly call it the revelation, but it's actually called the apocalypse of Jesus to John. I, I want to preach the entire apocalypse to you this morning, if that'd be okay. Hope you've got a whole lot of time, and uh, you know we'll see what time we get through. But we'll start here. We'll start here in Revelation chapter one and verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, that would be me, and blessed are those who hear, that would be you, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The apocalypse, the revelation, the uncovering of Jesus to John. What is it that is being uncovered or revealed here in this last book of our Holy Scriptures? There have been a lot of opinions about it. Some folks say that it is the expiration date of the world that's going to be revealed. And if you're good at mathematics, you could figure out the formula and know when the, the, the coming of Jesus is, that last date. Others say it's the nations that are going to be duking it out in the battle of Armageddon. Others say that it's who the Antichrist is, the one that will come with the mark of the beast and stamp that 666 on our forehead. All, all kinds of speculation about what, what is covered, what is hidden here in this book that's about to be revealed. I don't mean to be arrogant in any way, but I actually think I know 
And I think you do too. Because it's right here in the title. What is being revealed to us in this last book of scriptures is Jesus. It is the apocalypse of Jesus. And Jesus is being revealed to us in a little different way than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John reveal him to us. We're seeing Jesus in a little different light than we saw him over in the Gospels, Jesus. And the, the beautiful thing about the Revelation is it's like somebody took a yard rake and started way back in Genesis and just ran the rake all the way through all of Scripture and collected every title for divinity that is used. And all of those titles show up in this book. There are more titles for God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are more titles and descriptions in the book of Revelation than in any book of all of Scripture. Uh, you began to pick that up a little bit here in verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Listen to how the titles start rolling. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's my favorite title in all the book. I'm going to be talking about that one this morning. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. An interesting way to talk about the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Are you hearing the titles? The ruler of the kings of the earth, the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom. Priests serving God and, and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then in verse 8, you get more titles. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. These titles that come rolling. This title, though, that I want to work on a little bit this morning is the title, The One Who Is and Who Was and Who Is to Come. You know where we get that name? You remember way back in the Old Testament in Exodus when Moses is standing in front of a bush that isn't burning and a voice is speaking to him out of the bush and saying to him, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says back to the, to the voice in the bush, who should I say sent me? When I'm standing in front of Pharaoh saying, I'm here to tell you in the name of some divinity, let my people go. Who do I say sent me? And God says, tell Pharaoh the conjugation of the verb to be has sent you. Well, Now, that's not exactly what it says in Scripture, but that's exactly what it means in Scripture. Because the name that is given to Moses is the conjugation of the verb to be. Tell him that was, is, and will be has sent you. The God who in every present moment will be God. Tell him this God has sent you. But something interesting happens here in the Revelation. Because you know, I grew up down in Mississippi, and I'm a long, long, long way from my roots standing up here in Connecticut this morning. And most of you folk would be pretty sure that Mississippi had the god-awfulest kind of grammar school that anybody could ever go to. The truth is, though, I had a great school. I was required to take Latin in the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. And I can tell you one thing I know how to do is conjugate a verb. <laughs> you conjugate a verb, past, present, future. Was, is, will be. Back in Exodus, the name of God is the God who was, and the God who is, and the God who will be. 
But you get to the book of Revelation and the tenses change order. In the book of Revelation, we meet the Christ who is and who was and who is to come. The Christ who is with us in this present moment has always been with us and the one who stands in our future and will always be with us. This is the Christ who is being presented to us in the Revelation. He even is described so differently. I mean, if a, if a, uh, a Martian from outer space plopped down on Manchester Main Street this coming week and is walking around and he stops you and, and, and this out of space person says to you, look, I'm from a different planet. And I'm walking around here and I'm seeing a lot of, uh, a, a lot of Jesus kind of stuff. Jesus on t-shirts, Jesus on building names, Jesus on hospital names. Uh, people sing about Jesus. There are bookstores about Jesus. Uh, you know, tell me who this Jesus is. I know what you would do. You would, you would take the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John route. You would talk born of the Virgin Mary, uh, you know, baptized by John in the River Jordan, tempted out in the wilderness, uh, the, the one who went out and taught and uh, healed the sick and raised the dead and got in trouble with the religious leaders, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected. That's the story. That's the Jesus that you would offer to them because it is the Jesus of the gospel narrative that we have. But John... The writer of the Revelation, the, remember, the apocalypse of Jesus to John. John is the one who is hearing this revelation from Jesus about Jesus. And he is the one that is instructed to write it down and get it to the church that's undergoing tremendous suffering under the Roman Empire in this particular day and time. John meets Jesus He's, he's been exiled, John has. He's been exiled on the island of Patmos because he's been going around testifying to the word of the Lord and talking about this crucified dead man named Jesus now risen. That's not very popular with the Roman Empire. And he's use, even using the kind of language about this Jesus that contests with the rulership of the emperor of Rome. So, you know, he's been exiled out there and he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. And, and we pick it up here in verse 9. I, John... Your brother who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and patient endurance. I was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit, of, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard, me, heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write in a book what you're about to hear and send it to the seven churches. Then I turned. Now tell me if you've ever seen this Jesus before in scripture. I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining with full force. Jesus. The one whose head was once crowned with a crown of thorns. 
and blood pouring down. Now his face shines like the sun in all its brilliance. The one stripped naked on a cross, now he is clothed with a royal robe and a golden sash. The one whose eyes were dimmed in death, now those very same eyes look like fire coming out of the eye sockets. The one whose hands were nailed to a cross, now those hands hold the seven stars. The one whose feet were once nailed to a cross, now those feet look like they are burnished bronze walking right out of the furnace. The one whose voice was stilled on the cross such that he could barely say, I thirst. Now his voice sounds like ocean waves coming ashore. This is the Jesus that John encounters on the island of Patmos on this day. And listen to what happened. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand, the hand of blessing on me, and said, do not be afraid. Here come the titles again. For I am the first and the last I am the was and I am the will be. I am the alpha, the beginning of the alphabet, and the omega, the end of the alphabet. I am the beginning and I am the end. You start hearing in these titles of Jesus all of this verb conjugation of past and present and future. And Jesus begins to talk to John in this particular way. And he says to him, now get up and write what you have seen and what is about to take place after this. So he does. So John begins to write. In chapters 2 and 3, he writes seven letters to the seven churches. A lot of people think it's the seven ages of the church, but really it was just the Roman postal route, the order of those churches. Some of them were doing really good, and some of them doing bad. Some of them he blessed, and some of them he really rebuked. And then after that, in chapter 4, the heavens open, and there's this throne up in heaven, and there's one who's seated on the throne, and there's 24 elders uh, around the throne, and they're giving praise, and there's the four living creatures there, and there's this great worship event, and the one who's seated on the throne holds a scroll, and the scroll has seven seals on it, but no one is found who can open the seals of the scroll so that we can see what it is that's on the scroll that the one who's on the throne is holding at that time. And then is introduced a slaughtered lamb, a lamb who comes and they celebrate because they say the slaughtered lamb is the one who is able to open the seals on the scroll. And in chapter 6 and 7, the slaughtered lamb begins to open the seals on the scroll and the first seals that are open are the first four horsemen of the apocalypse and they ride out in the world and they filled it with violence and economic disaster and and poverty and death and disease and all kinds of stuff and it's really, really bad, those, the opening of those. And then in chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, we hear the seven trumpets that are blown and with each one of the trumpets that is blown, there's this cascading destruction that happens so that a third of the water is affected and a fourth of the trees are affected and there, there's this evil working to try to destroy everything but it's only fractional. Evil can never finish what it starts but it can sure do a whole lot of damage. And then in chapter 12, we come to the Christmas story that's in the book of Revelation. I love that chapter. In, in this particular chapter you've got a woman who's pregnant with a child. Uh, most of the scholars think it's Mary with the baby Jesus. Some people say it's the church that is being born in that moment. I'm not sure. P take your own pick. But there's this woman pregnant with a child and there's this big red dragon. And the big red dragon wants to gobble up the baby as soon as it's born. So the big red dragon has been sort of hounding the woman waiting for the child to be born. And about the time it's time for the child to be born uh, the, the, Michael, the archangel of God swoops down and picks up the dragon, the woman, the baby, everything, takes it all up into heaven. We've 
got a boxing ring up in heaven. In one corner, you've got Michael, the archangel of God, big, strong, yay. And then in the other corner is the big red dragon, boo, we hiss again. And they meet in the middle, and Michael, the archangel of God, body slams the dragon all the way down to earth, and now he is really ticked. And he goes after the woman, she gives birth to the child, and river separates them, and she gets away. So if you don't have a big red dragon in your Christmas crash, if you want to be biblical, you better put one in there because it's in there. And then in chapters 13 and 14, we meet the beast. There are two beasts. There's the big bad beast out of the sea. He's the one that goes around marking people with the mark, 666. And then there's a little kind of a PR beast who goes around saying, he's the big bad beast. You better be careful. He's going to mark you with 666. And so these two beasts go around and they do all kind of things. And then in chapters 15 and 16, we get the bowls of wrath that are poured out. Seven of them, again, fractional destruction. Evil does all the bad things that it can do. Chapters 17, 18, and 19, I think great artistry in the book of Revelation. You, you've, got this, uh, you've got this prostitute who's riding side saddle on the back of a beast. Not the little PR beast, but the big bad beast. And so she's riding side saddle on the back of the beast and she's drunk with the blood of the saints because she's persecuted him. Uh, and, and this prostitute, at one time, she was Egypt when Egypt was holding the people of God enslaved. And then in the Old Testament, she was Babylon when Babylon kept the people of God in exile. And now she's Rome, the Roman Empire. And she's the one who has the people of God under her power and is causing all this suffering. And she holds in her hand as she rides on the back of this beast this little black book. And in the little black book are the names of all of her clients, the kings and the power barons and the army leaders and the economic leaders and the rich people of the world, the people that are just, they put all their trust in Rome. They've given all their loyalty to Rome. They've put everything they have in Rome. They bet their life on Rome. And so she has them in her little black book and she is there. I mean, she's finery in every way, just dressed in finery and all this and the prostitute on the back of the beast runs head into the slaughtered lamb the one that we saw beside the throne opening the seals that were there way back there and so the slaughtered lamb and the prostitute go head to head and the slaughtered lamb wins the victory that is there and as soon as the slaughtered lamb uh, as soon as the prostitute goes down the beast realizes she's no good for anything anymore gobbles her up and she's all gone and at that point all of the people in her little black book the kings of the earth and the power barons and the merchants and everything they've watched her go down and they're going, oh no, what are we going to do? All our hope was in her. We're lost. Uh, everything we invested our life in is just worth nothing. No. But about the same time you hear this song that starts happening and there are these people gathered at a banquet and they're dressed in white and they're beginning to sing praise to the slaughtered lamb who has the victory. Then in chapter 20, you have the final battle in which the slaughtered lamb wins. He appears riding on the back of a white horse and in seven consecutive scenes, he gains the victory that is there. And then we come to chapter 21. I told you we were going to do the whole book of Revelation this morning. And in chapter 21, the same one who spoke to John all the way back in chapter 1 and said to him, write these things down, the same one shows up again, and here's what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I wish I just had time to stop and talk to you about what, what it means in Revelation when it says the sea was no more. The chaos brought upon this creation by evil was no more. In the victory of the slaughtered lamb, all that is chaotic about all of creation is brought to an end. And he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and I love these verses, see, the home of God 
is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for these things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha, the A of the alphabet, the past, the one goes all the way back, and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. The book of Revelation has been so misused in what I would call lame brain prophetic schemes that I think we have missed one of the most powerful truths that God has given to us in all of his scriptures. That the Christ we are to know is the one who is with us in this very present moment and has always been with us and is standing in our future, inviting us without fear to step into it. I, I wish I'd learned that earlier in my Christian walk because I, I can just tell you how, how I lived. It was like, okay, here I am. I'm trying to get out here into my future, and I, my future is there, and I know Jesus and Galilee and Old Testament and all of this biblical history and doctrinal work and everything are back here. So I'm trying to look back here and be faithful to all of that and get out there. And it's hard to go forward while you're looking backward because I had always located Jesus in my past instead of Jesus in my future. Now, I should have known this by the way the scripture seems to tell its stories. Take the story of creation for existence. For example, it's kind of like here's this amorphous blob of stuff and darkness hovered over the deep and all you've got is this blob of chaos or whatever. And it's not, it's not like God gets behind that and somehow kind of starts sort of pushing things into existence. The way the story is told, God stands around on the other side of it in the future of all that chaos and calls things to be. He calls into existence the things that are there. Birds be, light be, planets be, uh, bees be. He calls creation into existence. Uh, Abram, the story of Abram. It's not like Abram's been thinking about God and looking for God. No, no. It's not like God's back here starting to push. One day God gets in front of Abram and he says, Abram, you've been here a long time. I want you to leave your father's land and I want you to come with me <clears throat> because I'm going to bless you and through you I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. Moses, the story we were looking at a little bit earlier. God gets in front of Moses in a burning bush and says to him, Moses, here you are, but I want you to come with me. We're going to go tell Pharaoh that I said let my people go. The Virgin Mary I love the future tenses of that little story. When Gabriel shows up in the bedroom of this junior high girl in Big Bird house slippers and says to her, Mary, I would like permission that your womb might be the first sacred temple of the Son of God. And Mary's response is futuristic. May it be to me even as you have said. 
She's seeing the God who is standing in her future calling her. Jesus comes, shows up to Peter, James, and John in their fishing business. What does he do? He says, stands in their future. Guys, you got a great fishing business going on here. I want you to leave your fishing business and come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Saul, the persecutor of the church in the book of Acts, he gets in front of him on the road to Damascus and says, enough of this persecuting the church. Let's go. You're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he becomes the apostle Paul. The, the way the scripture stories are told, God always works on us from our future. He's always standing in the next moment, the next decision, the next practice, the next thing we do. He plants himself there, <coughs> inviting us to join him. If I hadn't understood this from the way I read scripture, I should have understood it by the way we taught our girls to walk. Uh, Denise and I raised three daughters, and you know when they get ready to walk, you know how you do it. You put them in a room and then you pull a bunch of wires across the floor and put a bunch of tables with sharp corners on them and, uh, and stuff they can trip over and everything and then you go back here where they are and you put your hand on their diaper squarely and you sort of push them and go, walk, kid. Oh, you, that's not what you do. You know that. What do you do? You clear the room. You clear the room. And then you go over here and you prop them up on something solid just like we have been propped up on the stories of the Old and New Testament, the hymns of the church, the doctrine of the church, the truth of the saints down through the ages. You prop them up on something solid, and what do you do? You go across the room, and you get down on your knees over here, and you look into the eyes of that child who knows you and trusts you, and you open your arms, and you say to that child, come, come. And the eyes of that child meet your eyes. And they walk into a future doing something they never dreamed they could do because they trust the one who is there saying to them, come. I love how the revelation ends. In chapter 22, as we're winding it up, verse 12 Jesus says to them, see, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. And he says it again. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life. Verse 16, I love this verse. It's like, just in case you haven't gotten it, church, suffering church, people of God on a Lenten journey toward the cross, people who live under the powers of Rome and the powers of darkness and the powers of chaos that destroy this world fractionally, people of God who live in all these places, listen, it is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony to the church. And then he says, this is Jesus, he says, I am the root and descendant of David. I love that. I am as was as you can be. I am as rooted in the past as David. I am the root and descendant of David and I am the bright morning star. I am the first thing you'll see tomorrow morning when you get up. I am the first light in the sky of that morning. I am there waiting for you in your future. And then, this is what I love, the spirit and the bride say to us, come. 
Let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty come. And the church says, amen, come Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. So here we are this morning on our journeys. We're not sure what's out there. There are some folk here whose medical reports have not been good. And you're wondering, what's out there? Jesus is standing right in the middle of what's out there saying, don't be afraid, child. Just come. Come. There are high school students here, and you're trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do next? What's the next chapter of my life? That's an easy one. Jesus is standing in your future saying E and C. (laughs) E and C. It's a no-brainer to me. Their family's worried about your sons and daughters. There are those who are facing economic crisis in your own checkbook. There are those who have the chaos of evil sort of fractionally messing with you and parts of your life are just not going well. And I want you to locate this morning, this is the gift of the Spirit to you in the house of God this morning. Whatever it is that's right out there that troubles you most and frightens you most, I want you to plant Jesus right in the middle of that because that is where he is He is the one who is with you in this moment, has always been with you, and the one who will be with you in the middle of this. And he's standing in the middle of what shakes you, frightens you, terrifies you, and worries you. And he is saying to you, do not be afraid. Come. She blindfolded me. Led me down the stairs, through the family room, through the kitchen, out into the garage, hit the garage door opener. We walked out into the sunlight of the day and she removed the blindfold. What I saw next was an apocalypse. There sitting right in front of me was a brand new bright red convertible Mustang. Borrowed for the day (laughs) from a car dealer in our church. Sitting in the back seat were Paul and Tess, our very, very dearest friends, and they were wearing very cool shades, and blaring on the radio was music the way God intended it to be, the Beach Boys. (laughs) That day, the four of us rode with the top down along the lake shore. We ate at our favorite places. We sang the old music of the 70s uh, to the top of our lungs like a bunch of -of out-of-control teenagers. We laughed and told stories. That evening, a group of another 20 or so friends joined me and did a remarkable roast of me at that point. And I remember we were driving home that night. We had dropped Paul and Tess off at their place. And we were driving home, and the wind was blowing in our hair. And I remembered what Denise had said. This is going to be your best birthday ever. You will never forget it. I should have known that was true. Because the one who stood in my future preparing that day loves me. And the one who stands in your future to be with you in every day that there is to come loves you. And that one will do everything that is needed for you to be able to be his child and live securely in him, whatever you 
face. This is the confidence that we have in Christ. With the passing of Billy Graham this past week, I've been humming an old, old tune in kind of a different way. You might sing it with me this morning. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to One of the verses, just as I am, without one plea. No, just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone. Could we sing that one? Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken Now to be thine, now to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Could I have the honor of having a closing prayer with us this morning? Would you bow where you are? This is the one who is and who was and who is to come. He is present among us in this very moment. But we are looking into our futures this morning. And I want you just now to imagine that about your own future or your own world which troubles you most. And now I want you to visually see the crucified, slaughtered lamb who is raised to victory in the cross. I want you to see that Jesus standing in the middle of what terrifies you. I want you to see him with his arms stretched open wide, a loving smile on his face, and the words coming out of his mouth to you are, Come, do not be afraid, come. Jesus, we are your children. You meet us here in this sanctuary this morning that we might be able to be fed from the truth of your word so that our lives might be lived in a different narrative and a different way from those who do not know you. We live in one of the most anxious ages of our lifetime. The chaos is dramatic. Fear is rampant. And yet you have so acted on behalf of your people 
that we're not to be marked by that. We are rather to walk forward into our future with full confidence that the Christ who has always been with us and is with us in this moment will never forsake us and will always be with us. Would you fill that truth and confidence into us until the love that flows from that Christ drives out all fear and relieves us of our anxiety that we might be able to live as your joyful, confident creatures in our world today. And when people ask us, how in the world do you do that? We tell them the story of Jesus. We thank you for your presence among us this day. And we go into our future because you stand in the middle of it saying to us, come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all the people of God said, the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you as you walk into the future. Jesus is waiting for you there already. God bless you as you go. Amen.